Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. When somebody came up to you, a smiling friend, and they put their arms around you and they asked, how are you? You know, there are only a few socially acceptable responses to the question, how are you? You could say, I'm fine. You could say, I'm good. How about you? That's the double reverse back. So they can say, I'm good. How about you? And you can be there for the next 15 minutes. If you're feeling particularly clever, you could answer something like, well, I can't complain. You know, most of us don't even process the question but an answer just involuntarily shoots out of our mouth before we've even had the chance to think about it, and often it fails to represent reality. Say this question is not just one that has a dishonest answer. It may be humanity's most dishonest question because most people who are asking it aren't actually seeking to know the answer when they ask. It's just what we say. It's filler in our conversation. It's the conversational equivalent of the word, um. We don't want to leave it silent, so how are you? And here's what's crazy. We ask how are you to people we've never even seen before. You walk past somebody in the grocery store, you're like, hey, how are you? When the much better question would be, hey, who the heck are you? I've noticed something about this question, how are you? We don't even seem to position ourselves physically or emotionally to hear an actual answer when we ask. We're just on the move. How are you? And we go, I'm good. And you hear them as they're going out the door. If you ever want to freak somebody out, here's what you do the next time they ask you the question, how are you? Stop and really think about it. And then let them have it. They come to you and they say, how are you? And you say, you know what? Thanks for asking. I'm not doing too hot today. Didn't sleep well last night. We're behind on several bills. One of my kids woke up sick this morning. My boss has really been putting pressure on me at work. And right now I'm starting to get in my head and and wonder if I really have what it takes. And to top it all off, I found this new mold that WebMD convinced me is a terminal disease. And I probably only have a few hours to live. So, how are you? You know, there are a lot of reasons we don't answer the question, how are you, honestly, but it's too bad because it's a transformative question. It's one the sons of Korah took to heart in Psalm 42 as they held up a mirror to their own hearts, taking inventory and asking, 
Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. So can I ask you a question this morning that I don't intend to rush past? How are you? Really? (laughs) You're always good, James. How are you? Really? How are you? As we start this message, this is what I want. If you close your eyes, place your hand on your heart. And by the way, what you just had, you had both sides of the spectrum here out loud, and I love it. Some of them moved in the place that you and I need to move. Let me ask the question. How is it with your soul? If you've been alive more than five minutes, you've known the pain of heartbreak, of love, and of loss. You've known failed jobs and relationships and dreams. You've known what it is to feel left out and misunderstood or gossiped about or stabbed in the back by someone you trusted. You know the ache of the loss of innocence and the power of careless words. You know the shock of being certain that God was leading your life in a certain direction when the rug was ripped out from under you, sending you flying like a car barreling down I-75 after a full-speed collision. So with your eyes closed and your hand on your heart, let me ask, how are you? Where are you anxious and afraid that you haven't even allowed your mouth to speak? What losses this morning are you still grieving? What's absent in your life that you wish were present? What's present in your life that you wish was absent? Have you stopped dreaming? They're just collecting dust somewhere on the shelf. Or you've stopped dreaming altogether because you can't see past the present moment. Where are you downcast, O my soul? And you need God to breathe fresh upon you. See, in this moment and in the next moments we're going to spend together, I am asking the God of heaven to reveal and to heal. But first, we've got to stop rushing down the hallways, answering the first thing that comes out of our mouth that's socially acceptable. And we've got to get real with our own souls. So right here, eyes closed, hand on your heart. Would you say words like this to Jesus? Would you say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. I invite you to reveal my heart to me. I'm listening. Show me where I'm downcast in my soul. I choose to drop my guard this morning and to be honest. Speak. Your son, your daughter, I'm listening. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. We've been in the midst of this series, Prophets and Losses, looking back to the Old Testament, asking the question, how is it that we can find our lives by losing them? And this morning, I want to go to the Old Testament prophetic book of Lamentations, an entire book that is dedicated to the subject of grieving. I want to share three ways this morning to find hope by losing our need 
to hold it together. Three ways this morning we find hope by losing our need to hold it together. The first one is this. If you want to find hope, you got to lose the cape, Superman. you got to lose the cape, Superman. you got to lose control and choose vulnerability. Now here's the truth, guys. We don't like to talk about grief, do we? We want to bury it. We love to distract ourselves with noise so that we can ignore it. And we as people, we love every gadget and gimmick and shortcut that promises a way of permanent escape for us and our families. See, we're being chased down by what I would call an unholy trinity of false gods. And these gods are called ego and comfort and safety. We want to feel important. We want to feel good. And once we experience either of these to any degree, we will do whatever it takes to secure it and keep getting it and not lose it. The largest section in the bookstore is called self-help. It's all about how you acquire these and avoid pain. It's book after book after book filled with positivity thinking of gurus who offer steps to the life you deserve now and who paint a picture that you and I could live a life above pain once we learn how to help ourselves just like they did. You know, that's not the saddest part to me in the bookstore. The saddest part is when you leave the self-help section and head over to the Christianity section to find that many of our Christian resources amount to little more than self-help with a steeple. We're aiming at all the same targets. We're using all the same cliches. The only difference is we say if you simply work God's rule book and God's formula, you can get the life you always wanted on your terms. We church up the language, but it's serving the same gods. And among Christians, I've seen two types of people that try to deny pain at all costs. And I just want to say this. If you see yourself in either of these reflections, if the shoe fits, kick it off. It's not yours to wear. Two types of Christians that try to avoid pain. I'd simply call them the grief immune and the pain phobics. The grief immune and the pain phobics. The grief immune. You recognize them because they carry themselves as if their own strength has transported them above the realm of weakness and feelings. They walk around and they're good all the time. They're a walking motivational poster that is impenetrable but one-dimensional. See, no matter what they're facing in life, the grief immune will say, I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. Hallelujah. They never open up about any of their struggles. And when you open up about your struggles, they're quick to turn it into a sermon how all would be well with your soul if you'd simply have faith and stand on God's promises. You can't be real with them because they can't be real with themselves. They're the spiritual man of steel that can't see that vulnerability is the kryptonite they won't get in the room with. On the other side of the spectrum. So I could only call the painophobic. These people have to be okay or they're not okay. Their confidence in life is in all of their plans working out. And they've come to believe that if they just follow the rules well enough, they will be spared heartbreak and tragedy. And God will bless them by which they mean 
He will secure what makes them feel important and wanted and good. Ego and comfort and safety. See, both of these types, they wed God's goodness and our faithfulness into an after-school special faith where every problem can be solved by the end of the hour. All we need is a three-point sermon and a Bethel song. And it has left millions of people exhausted, emotionally paralyzed, and resenting God or rebuking themselves because someone isn't holding up their end of the bargain. You wonder why churches have empty seats. It's because many who love Jesus have stepped back from an active faith because they can't hold together the frail facade anymore. It's why it comes as a shock when you open the pages of the Bible and find a very different view about grief. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations that is dedicated to sorrow. And the book of Lamentations, it's five chapters long. Each one of them is a poem expressing grief. When you look in the book of Lamentations, this is what you find. Chapter one talks about grief in the times of our life that we choose to follow other lovers that fail to comfort us and enslave us. Chapters two and four on either side of that, they talk about grief at blessings we once had but now we lost in the place that our souls deeply need to be healed. In the middle of the book, you find the pulse and the heartbeat. Chapter three, it's twice as long as every other chapter. And it's dedicated to God stepping in with us in our grief to bear it and to become our hope. Finally, the book ends in chapter five with a prayer in the midst of our grieving for God to restore all things to his heart. But you find this when you look through the Bible. It's not just the book of Lamentations. Goodness gracious, we've got the book of Job. We've got a whole section of the Psalms that are called lament songs, sad praise. We've got the story of nearly every Bible hero facing trials and tears in the desert of the dark night of their soul. We have Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb sweating blood in Gethsemane, being called the man of sorrows and then calling us to follow him. Why? Because I think if we'd be honest, we'd recognize this, that grief is as much a part of the human experience as love. And in fact, in a broken world, grief is often the price of love. the husband of 50 years that has looked completely lost since his wife's memorial service because she's been his whole world since they were teenagers. See, it's unbelievably sad, but there's something about it that's sacred because he's only in a position to grieve deeply because he loved completely. Grief manifests in direct correlation to vulnerability. Grief is about the love that we allow ourselves to give. It's the parent who regularly feels a pit in their stomach at their wayward son or daughter. It's the friend's cancer diagnosis that knocks the wind out of you. It's the answer you've been praying over and over for a loved one that didn't come. But I want you to see that you only have the capacity 
to grieve where you were first given the gift to love something so beautiful, it hurts when it's gone. Grief reveals grace. You need to understand that. Every time we grieve what's going on, we can only grieve because we were first given the gift to love, to hope, something so beautiful that we just don't want to lose. And listen, if we are going to choose to love on planet Earth, it means making our hearts vulnerable to the possibility of getting broken. But many of us have made ourselves into a veritable fortress today because somewhere back there we allowed ourselves to love and we got hurt. They died or they left or they broke our trust. And I am so sorry, but I need to say this to the spiritual men and women of steel. Your bravado is nothing more than a self-defense mechanism of an insecure heart trying to control your own world from ever letting that happen again. Love requires vulnerability. It's what made the God of the universe, the God over all, empty himself and place himself under a system of broken humanity. I don't know anything more vulnerable than a baby in a manger or a savior hanging naked on a cross. If you and I are going to love in a broken world, we are going to grieve and we must learn to grieve with hope. Now, in this, as I talk about losing the cape and getting honest about grief's place in our life, I need to make three quick clarifications so you don't hear what I'm not saying. The first is this. There are some sources of grief on planet Earth that have no silver lining. They break the heart of God. They're what Jesus flipped tables in the temple over and that he's presently returning justice to Earth. Cases of trauma and abuse, but you need to know this, even in these, brokenness is our opportunity to make ourselves vulnerable and weep with those who weep. Second clarification I'll make is this, some areas in our life we grieve and it's our own dang fault. We are reaping what we've sown. And in a minute I want to share the tremendous grace that's awaiting us there. The third clarification I want to give is this, some grief, say some grief, some grief God is ready to lift off of your shoulders right now. My God is healer and deliverer and the God of miracles. Amen? Amen? So if you find yourself in grief, if you find yourself in brokenness, the first response should always be the response of John the Beloved, to lean your ear back against Jesus' chest and to listen to where he wants to move so you can agree in faith. But may I remind you, the same God who told Lazarus to rise from his tomb told John the Baptist to remain in a prison. Saying, blessed are you, John, if you do not fall away on account of your perception of all you think I need to do and be in order to be God and to be good. Because in the world you will have trouble and grief is often the price of love. It's holy. We've got to stop our denial and our outrage and our resentment and surrender control and allow ourselves again to be vulnerable. 
And I want to talk about being vulnerable in two places. When I'm saying lose the cape, where's the two places we need to lose the cape? One, you've got to choose vulnerability to repent and change and grow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Did you know there is a godly sorrow that leads us to change the way we think? That's all that word repent means. Change how you think. Change your direction. Change your trajectory. And in the process of growing up physically, emotionally, and spiritually, it is painful. There are growing pains. There are places, again and again, God wants us to face the places we're falling short and allow the Father to discipline and correct us as he does with every child he adores so we'd reach our fullness. And by the way, that kind of growing up doesn't happen once, but over and over and over again as he takes us to ever-increasing levels of glory. So can I ask you a question? Are there places right now that you're grieving, and I say it in love, but it's your own dang fault? I got some. Okay? Are there places you're grieving and you go, you know what, but I did it to myself. And then first of all, listen, pray for a crop failure. Okay? Pray for a crop failure. But in the meantime, can you honestly face the grace to look in sorrow and change the way that you think? Can you step into the vulnerability to drop your guard of I've got to be okay and I've got to have it together and I've got to be right and I can never admit to anybody that I'm wrong. I can't admit it to my spouse. I can't admit it to my kids. Can you drop the cape, Superman? And choose to let the Holy Spirit correct you in a process of grief that's associated with growing up without a rush to fix it or make it okay. But simply to let God meet you there in the dirt for as long as it takes. Growing up is hard. There is grief, but it's good. The second kind of grief I would say that we need to get vulnerable about is this. We need to choose the vulnerability to join Jesus in loving a broken world. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection. Man, we sing about that all the time. Power of resurrection. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. We don't have many songs about the next part. and to know the participation of his sufferings. I want to tell you, these are parallel statements in Philippians, meaning as much as you are experience of one, you should expect that you will experience of the other. That ain't even in my message. That's just dang good. As much as you experience of one, you need to expect that you experience the other. And Paul says, I welcome it because it means being with Christ. I want to be him, be with him even in his sufferings. Listen to him again in Romans chapter 8. He says this, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now hear me. Suffering for Jesus can mean a whole lot of things, but when the only law in the kingdom of God is love, it will never mean less than that. If you love like Jesus, your heart will be broken. 
You will suffer. You will grieve. And we would do far better as the church to step away from acting like orphans, simply asking him to fix it and go and join him there in the sufferings. We share in his sufferings. In Greek, it literally means we co-suffer with Christ. Over the last five years, as my family and I, my, my, my wife and our five kids, as we became a foster family, We've walked in many rooms where people have placed our family on a pedestal, treating us like heroes. And I want to tell you, it breaks my heart every time because it's giving yourself an out from joining Jesus on the Via Dolorosa. People say to me, well, I, I could never do what your family does. I could, I could never do that because it would be too hard to give them back. And I get the sentiment, but I want to ask this. What's the alternative? Spare your broken heart by leaving their world shattered? Following Jesus is co-suffering. It's self-emptying love, and it will break your heart, and it's the only way you'll ever live. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you will find your life when you lose it. Can I ask the question this morning? Where are you hedging? Where are you playing it safe, watching all your bets, making sure that you can guard your heart so that you can't get too hurt? You won't get your hopes up too high so they don't get dashed. Where are you insulating your emotions from being vulnerable because loving that way may just break your heart? Can I ask, where did you used to love radically? But something happened. And right now there are still wounds that you're carrying around that need to be healed so that you can re-enlist suffering with Jesus and loving a broken world. See, we've got we to gotta lose the cape. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give an opportunity for how we can do that. When we talk about ways that we refine our hope again on earth, the first is you've got to lose the cape, Superman. The second is this, you've got to lose the demand to crack the case, Sherlock. You've got to lose the demand to crack the case, Sherlock. We've got to lose pride and choose childlike faith. We live in the age of information, and can we be honest? We want an answer to everything. You know how I can prove that? You ever put something in your phone that you're like, I just, I'll ask Google, right? And you go in, and you put something in the internet, and it takes more than 1.7 seconds. Watch what people do. Oh, spectrum, right? They just get mad. Because we believe that in the age of information, we deserve an answer for everything. We want to know what every celebrity is thinking all the time. We deserve that. After all, we're citizens of the USA. And this is what I find. As followers of Jesus, when life gets hard, we, like the rest of humanity, we want to know why. But all too often is what we do. We get out our magnifying glass and we survey all the clues and we step into a life that becomes an obsession to crack the case and end our pain. I found for many people that the God of mystery has left them in a state of spiritual paralysis. They refuse to move forward. It takes over every prayer, it fills every conversation, it fills their entire landscape. Something has happened and they have to know why. And they demand that God explain himself and give the answer to fix it now. When you and I are hurting, it's good to ask why. The Bible says that God gives wisdom generously to us without finding fault. It also says that he already knows what we need before we even ask, and so he invites us to ask. So I'm going to tell you, ask the questions. Get in a community of people who love Jesus and love you and trust his heart and go to the throne together and ask 
every question, but you've got to know this. The God of history often doesn't give a surface answer to your heart's questions. He instead gives himself as the answer for your heart. Let me say that again. The God of history often doesn't give a surface answer to your heart's questions. Instead, he gives himself as the answer for your heart. So wherever you're grieving, your truest answer is found in coming into union with the God who is restoring all things wherever he presently is in your story. See, us trying to explain all of the mysteries of God has led us into some really terrible theology. It's all of the people telling me why my dad had to die when I was six years old and how that's better for me. Or how one of my closest friends lost his fight to cancer days before his 21st birthday. Or why my sister, while she was in the process of healing and rewriting her entire family legacy, died without warning and without goodbye. See, when pride demands answers that God isn't giving, we fill in the gaps with images that are unworthy of our God and only multiply our suffering. And there are many people today that are angry, and if they were to be honest why they're angry, they're angry because God didn't do what they felt they would have done in his shoes. And to that, I want to submit to you that the only answer Jesus seems to give is the answer God gave Job. Where were you when I stretched out the sky like a sheet and hung the stars? Where were you when I placed every planet like a grain of sand in the universe and made the world spin? You see, God points us back to this, and I want you to consider this in your grief right now. Our God created life and love and laughter. The very gifts we're grieving because they were so good, we wanted more. So maybe today you're there and you're asking why. And I want to tell you, I love this about the book of Job. It goes on for 38 chapters of Job shaking his fist in the sky. So I want to say if that's where you are, he's a long road of patience. You keep asking. But don't get stuck in your paralysis or your pride believing that you would do it better than God. You ask the question, why? Why did my loved one die? Why is my heart broken? Why am I alone? Why isn't this cancer leaving? I don't know. But I've learned this. When I'm faced with what I don't know, I better stand on what I do. When I'm faced with what I don't know, I better stand on what I do. So I want to say this in your tragedy and your grief today. My God adores you. It will never change. He is good. And he is with you, and you're grieving right now, bearing all of it. See, I've settled those in my heart. My God adores me. He is good, and he is presently in my grief, bearing it. There's a lot I don't know, but I'm going to stand on those three. I will stake my life on it for me, and I'll ask you to borrow my faith and stake it for you. Whatever is happening in your life, your God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's why when you get to the pinnacle of the book of Lamentations about all this grief, grief where I blew it, grief where I lost something, in the middle of all of it is God. And as God is lifted up as the one bearing our grief, this is the prayer that comes out. Lamentations 3, 21 to 24, it's the pinnacle of the book. It says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. 
I'm suffering. I'm grieving. My heart is broken. There are mysteries. I want it all to end and just to get better. But for this reason, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Please hear me. Your hope will never be in your answers, but only in the God who is your answer, becoming your portion. In just a minute... I'm going to give us an opportunity to lay down our demands. And right now in the midst of mystery, choose union right here and right now. What do we do with our grief? You've got to lose the cape, Superman. You've got to lose your demand to crack the case, Sherlock. But there's a third one. And it's this. You've got to lose your breakup tapes, Eeyore. You've got to lose your breakup tapes, Eeyore. We've got to lose conditions and choose contentment. Now, when I was in middle school, it was the era of the cassette tape. Can anybody remember that? Cassette tape, woo, man, that was fun. And then you get the, the pencil, right? The pencil is the most magic tool in the world. If your cassette tape ever started giving you problems, you'd be like, I'm gonna get this thing back right here. This pencil's gonna save my life. Some of you who are younger, go, go Google it later. And if it takes more than 1.7 <laughs> seconds, get mad at Spectrum, all right? It's the age where what you'd have to do when you wanted to get your favorite song is you'd listen for hours to the radio, wait for your song to come on, hope the DJ wouldn't talk over it. Right? And then you record song after song after song and make your mixtape. And in middle school, I was obsessed with dating and failing miserably. So I had the most <laughs> pathetically sad mixtape on the planet. It was Chicago and REO Speedwagon and Air Supply. <laughs> Air Supply is the, is the melodic equivalent of weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> that, that just came to me, and that's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry if anybody from Air Supply is watching. You helped me through a lot of dark days. I would sit in my room for hours and listen to my mixtape play and rewind and play and rewind and play and rewind, reliving memories of all I'd lost. And this is what, it, what has hit me. That's where all too many followers of Jesus live every single day. Play, rewind, play, rewind. I lost this, and I'm just going to replay all of my losses over and over and over again. We become like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. No matter how bright the sun is shining outside, we only see lack. And we can't recognize that that's the orphan spirit that doesn't yet believe that God's good. So we keep setting up new conditions for him to prove it. We could have a million blessings, but if two things break, we go into a tailspin. And what I find when I've met the people that are adopting the mindset of Eeyore in life is that unsurprisingly, when I go lengths of weeks, months, years without seeing them and see them again, no matter what's going on, no matter what promotion, no matter what their personality type, no matter what their wins and losses, they're still miserable because they gave the keys to their contentment to their conditions. Contrast that with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 who says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. 
What is the secret of my contentment? It's not my conditions. It's him who gives me strength. The secret of my contentment is my Jesus, not how my Jesus is performing for me today. So this is what I find in my life. I want to be really practical because it may surprise you, but I can get a lot like Eeyore sometimes. I can get a lot like, oh, thanks for noticing. Nothing's going right. Nobody loves me. I lost my tail. Right? The whole deal. And the Lord has called me to some regular patterns in life that have changed everything for me. Regularly, almost daily, I go on a two-mile walk just to pour out my heart and my breakup tapes to God. I go and I just lay it out. I tell him my heart. My prayer life is very simple. I go, hands down, hands up. Hands down, cast all your cares on the Lord. I'm like, here it is. Here's my breakup tapes. You're a hard habit to break. And I do all the equivalent of that. Grieving, grieving, grieving. And when I'm done, I turn the other way, hands up, and I say, Lord, what do you want to say to my heart now? I'll let you speak. And guess what? If you want to know, does he get a little like Eeyore? There's a reason I go for a two-mile walk every day. (laughs) Okay? we got to get rid of this era of the Christian rock star that thinks they have it figured out. So I want to tell you this. If you think you see glory pouring through my life, first of all, I'm going to tell you there's no facade. There's no fake. Who I am here is who I am at home. I'm me all the time. But the second thing I want to tell you is if you think you see glory, then there's a whole lot that is being submitted to the cross that's happening there. There are no Christian rock stars. The only rock star is Jesus. So I go to the place with my breakup tapes and I go for long walks. The second one I do is this. Uh, And God regularly does this. I didn't make this a pattern. It just happens. Regularly when I'm sitting down to eat breakfast, I cook myself the same breakfast every morning because you get to a certain age and you're just boring. And it's predictable. (laughs) And you like it. And why eat something you don't like? So I stop with my... That's it. Thank you. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place, Michael. (laughs) Regularly I'll stop in that moment and God says right before, I got fork in hand and I'm ready to go and he goes, stop. What's coming up today on your calendar? Would you spend just 60 seconds thanking me for all the opportunities that I'm putting before you and all the people you're going to be seeing? What's going to be happening? And I've stopped and I've done it. It's crazy. Even the things I don't want in my day, I start getting excited about. I go, wow, God, you're good. I just breathe in those 60 seconds, and it's like I come alive again. The joy of the Lord becomes my strength again. See, God gives grief to us as a gift. In a broken world, we're going to grieve if we're going to love. And there's a whole lot more goodness that's happening right now in the kingdom around you. And what I want to do is I want to end not by talking about it, but by doing it. So I'm going to ask everybody if you'd stand up with me. And as we stand, this is what I want. So go ahead and stand. Move your back, your shoulders, your knees, whatever it is that's hurting. It all happens with age. I want everybody with me right now. Everybody with me. Breathe in. Breathe out. Let's do that again. Breathe in. Breathe out. Do you know what that means? It means you're alive. It's beautiful. And it's amazing. And the God of the universe has chosen to make you in such a time as this and in such a place as now. The people that you're going to get to experience, the things you're going to get to see on the earth, the things we've already seen, they're beautiful, aren't they? And if we're going to love, sometimes it's going to break our heart. No one gets out of this story unscathed. To love well is to grieve well. That's where we're knit closest to the heart of our Jesus and his kingdom advances. So I want to end just saying this this morning. 
Praise God that today you and I can lose having hope in our need to hold it all together and find hope in the God of heaven. Right now, would you just close your eyes with me? And I'm going to ask if you'd lay your hand on your heart. I want to give just three activations this morning. This is where we take the truth of God from our head to our heart to our feet. We began this time asking a question. How are you? I want to return back to that now. Can I ask right now, eyes closed, hand on your heart, where are you grieving? Where's your heart broken? Maybe it's a place that you're feeling the pain of your own brokenness, and right now you hear the Holy Spirit leaning in, saying you don't need to block it anymore. You don't need to be strong enough anymore. God, I do this, and I don't know why I do it. Would you just stay before his feet and say, God, I'm going to get vulnerable, and I'm not looking for an after-school special faith anymore. I know you adore me. I'll step through the grief of growing up. Perhaps you're grieving right now because somebody or something broke your heart. There's something absent from your life today that used to be present, and it's like your heart has been ripped out within you. Or there's something present today that used to be absent, and life was so much easier then. Where are you grieving? Would you go to God with that? We've got prayer ministers here up front because, listen, I know we all process the truth of God in different ways, but I'm believing that there are some people in this room right now that what you need is the touch of a, of a brother or sister, the agreement of them coming alongside you. Right now, you're trying to process it all in your mind, and you need to step out from your seat, come up to a brother or sister and say, this is where I'm grieving, and I'm not expecting you to fix it, and I'm going to be before my father's feet as long as it takes, but right now, can you help me take the first step? Can I ask right now, if you're grieving something, if you're regularly waking up in the middle of the night, high-level anxiety and pressure and stress, listen, that's fear. What is it you're afraid of? What is it you believe is on your shoulders? What is it you believe is all up to you? Where are you grieving? I'm going to ask that either from your seat that you'd start getting real with God about that right now, you'd step out from your seat and you'd come to one of these prayer ministers and say, here's where I'm grieving. Can you help me take the first step? to find my God in the midst of this mess? It's the first question I want to ask. The second question I want to ask, and listen, as I give this, if the Lord prompts you at any point to step out to one of these ministers, you come. You come. The second question I want to ask, where is it time to lay down control? Where is it you've set up veritable safety guards to keep your heart from being hurt again? And they got to go because you're in the driver's seat. Where is it that a wound needs to be healed so you can love deeply again? For others, I want to ask this question this morning. Who is it that the Father is calling you to love radically, to put yourself in the dock and to risk getting your heart broken? Maybe you heard the testimony about fostering and I want to tell you this. People say to me, not everybody's called to foster. No, amen, I believe that. But listen, right now, when the foster epidemic as we know it would disappear overnight, if one family in every three churches in the Tampa Bay area were to make the decision to welcome a child in their home, I want to tell you it's a heck of a lot more people than are currently responding. 
Where's God calling you? Say, I'll, I'll spend myself on the sake of the poor. I'll have my heart broken knowing that I'm co-suffering with Jesus. Maybe it's somebody in your family or somebody at your work, somebody in your neighborhood that God's saying you need to get back in the dock and you need to love them again. You need to love radically again. I'm going to ask you if that's you. And God's even saying to you right now, there's a bold step I need to make. Would you step out? Tell one of these prayer ministers. Step into the accountability of that going, okay, I haven't figured it all out, but God's saying this right now. God's telling me it's time to move. The third question I want to ask. Actually, before I move to that, let me say this. Some of you right now, you're on the front lines of loving radically. You pour yourself out all the time, and you are just tired this morning. You need a fresh anointing from your father. You need to feel his gaze again. You need a baptism of joy to come over you. Would you come right now? Say, I'm running. I made the decision. I'm not looking back, but man, I need the joy of the Lord. I need to walk in step with the spirit. Maybe I've been running too hard and I need to learn how to rest. Would you come? So my question is, number one, where are you grieving? Number two, where do you need to lay down control? And number three, where is it time in your life to kick apathy to the curb? Would you right now hand on your heart, Jesus, I'm done empowering, and you fill in the circumstance or the condition. I'm done saying I won't be happy until I have this, until this person agrees, until this person sees, until this job comes, until I'm married, until I fall in love, until I get the promotion, until this health diagnosis changes. Would you say, I'm tired of spiritual paralysis. I choose joy today. As you've been with me in my suffering, now, Lord, would you lift me to the place? If you're stuck, you feel like Eeyore, would you just come to one of these ministers and say, right now, I need a baptism of joy. In fact, I'm going to ask that all around the room. If that's you, it's like, man, the need that I have this morning is I desperately need joy. I'm going to ask one hand on your heart and one hand in the air, just the sign of surrender. And I just ask right now, Jesus, you say joy is the inheritance that you have for your children. You purchased it all. You say the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we don't have joy, we don't have strength. And God, we desperately need strength as your children. I release right now from heaven the gift that you, Jesus, have given. We release your joy. May you be covered completely in the joy of the Lord right now. I call for your perception, for the way the wiring of your brain works, the way you think through things, for it to be rewired in alignment with what heaven is speaking. May you step forward in joy and may your emotions follow. The last note I want to make is this. Some of you are grieving today because your heart has been ripped out and the only thing Jesus is saying is I'm there with you in the dirt. Would you let it be enough to just stay with Jesus in the place that he has you? I want you to know that he's weeping with you just as he did outside of Lazarus' tomb. I want you to know that he's bearing the brunt of the burden so as much as you feel you're carrying and you're feeling, just know he's bearing the brunt. He is with you you. I pray that you and I would have the anointing 
the glory and the grace to grieve well. I want to give just another 30 seconds right now because I've done a whole lot this morning. Would you just ask this question before the Father? What are you saying to my heart? Would you start to tell him what's on your heart and wherever it is, you don't have to tie it all up and fix it. But can you and I just make the decision today that we'll be completely vulnerable and let him meet us there? Let's take 30 seconds before our king and then Pastor Lynn's gonna close us in prayer and give us some announcements before we go. Let's talk to Jesus.